So we've been thinking. So we've been thinking. The podcast. Welcome back. Part two of season one of the So We've Been Thinking podcast. This season, we've had a variety of guests, variety of topics that we're passionate about. Um, and we've tried to bring those people and their interests to you. One of the goals of this podcast has always been to get together and do a live recording of the podcast in front of an audience. Well, recently at the EdTech Teacher Innovation Summit in Boston, we were able to do that. Today's episode is a recording of our retrospective of part one of the season with some of the key themes and ideas that were brought to mind by our guests. This So We've Been Thinking podcast is sponsored by EdTech Teachers Innovation and Education Conferences. Join them for their next conference in Woodstock, Vermont on the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of April. Choose to follow one of five conference strands, entrepreneurship, deeper learning, modern civic education, early education technology, and intensive interventions. Then take a deep dive into this topic over the course of a two-day event. Gather each morning for a keynote session, followed by a morning and afternoon breakout session with your strand. For more information, go to innovationinedu.org or reach out to EdTech Teacher on social media. So in our first ever live recording of the So We've Been Thinking podcast, um, what we thought we would do is capture our process live, dig into uh, the first um, series of our podcast, grab some clips from really interesting interviewees that we've had and try to pull this all together to tell one cohesive story and then just hang out and have a good time at the end of the first day of the EdTech Teacher Summit um, to see if we can capture um, a story and pull together everything we've been experiencing up to this point. So Sean, would you mind starting out and just getting into like how this came to be and the background of the whole podcast? We were just having a casual conversation talking about the things that we were passionate about and talking about how we really wanted a chance to share like our process of developing ideas. Like too, too often we're concerned about having a finished thought that we share and put out to the world. But I think there's a lot of value for us and our students to share unfinished, unstructured, where, where you come to terms with information as you're sharing it. So this was our chance to interact with people who we appreciated, who we thought were doing good intellectual work and like discuss the process of developing our ideas and arriving at our understandings. Right, and the one of the things that I was really interested in was finally cracking into the world of audio. Um, and, and I talked about this earlier today in a podcasting session, but like while I used to listen to podcasts, like did anyone listen to Serial season one when it came out? Yeah. Like that got me back into it. I think prior to that it was Radio Lab. Does anyone listen to Radio Lab out of WNYC? Mm -hmm. This was the podcast that got me like super into podcasting and consuming. Serial hooked me a little bit. And then it wasn't until the Anchor as a platform kind of emerged and I became aware of Anchor that I was willing to go, now we can actually do it. Like no more hosting on Podbean and getting a link and pushing it here. Like the whole process has been simplified. So that's why we wanted to do it. The other thing that I was really interested in was just the idea of audio. So, and I talked about this earlier again, Bluetooth, being able to listen to your car, getting any podcast you want on any device downloading. And it's just a different environment and a different medium. And I wanted to take advantage of this medium to tell stories in a way that we couldn't through text or couldn't through video and honestly I don't enjoy the editing process all that much and I wanted to see if we could pull this off with minimal editing involved. Um, so what we're going to do today is take a look back on some of our episodes, some quotes, some, some clips that we picked out as like really inspiring, insightful, uh, sometimes challenging. Look back on those and what we've learned and kind of the themes that have emerged in our first 14, this will be the 15th episode of the So We've Been Thinking podcast. Um, it started off as like a simple, I, we, we knew nothing about the process of producing it other than a couple of tools and we just agreed that we're not going to try to become experts. 
we're going to just do this and gain our skills as we go, right? Yeah, we, we absolutely wanted to embrace the idea of put like a, uh, almost that perfection was gonna be our worst enemy and it was put the idea out there regardless of audio quality. I've lost an entire episode because of audio quality. Sean basically lost an entire episode because of audio quality, but we've right. learned along the way. Like yeah. it's been awesome to go back and basically be a student and learn how to do all this stuff from scratch with very little guidance. And can I add the fact that I have no, I, I've never done sound editing before I did this. I love the sound editing process. I enjoy like diving into it and listening and understanding the way that it works and learning the tools that go with it. So it's funny the things that, I had no idea. I find it absolutely cathartic to sit there and cut and piece things together and think about what's essential and what's not as I go through the process. Yeah, I do it on airplanes because if you think about it, if it's a 45 minute show, you record the show, you have to listen back to the entire 45 minute show, cut all the little clips you need to out of yeah. the 45 minute show. So it's either two to three times the length of the show, at least for me to get through the editing process, something to be aware of. So you're ready to talk about one of our first guests early Let's on? Let's absolutely do that. <clears throat> so I'm going to get into um, a colleague of mine, an ed tech teacher. He's a computer science teacher at the Punahou School in Hawaii. His name is Douglas Keon. I wanted to talk to Douglas very early on. I think he was the second guest on the show mm -hmm. after Michael Cohen. And Douglas is a huge computer science guy, teaches computer science. And computer science as a concept can be super overwhelming to me. I'm a history teacher. I don't have a background in this stuff. And I thought Douglas um, summed it up really eloquently with this idea. And so really at its core, when I think about computer science and programming, what we're really doing is we're really trying to teach kids how to learn. So this idea really resonated with me because it made me get over the hump of like computer science isn't really about coding. Computer science isn't about learning specific programs. It's giving kids the capacity to learn and unlearn and solve problems on their own. Um, I was really overwhelmed by this concept leading into it, um, but he almost like demystified it and it was like it. And then he even pointed out the fact that if you learn whatever language today, it may become irrelevant or it could become a component of many languages you're going to have to learn along the way. So it's not really that critical that you're a master of anything that you're doing in this world yeah. of computer science. But I feel like we're, we want kids to understand languages. And if you can teach a kid an additional language when they're young, and I'm not talking about coding language, I'm talking about like human language, they will have access to other languages as they go, layering multiple languages on top of a few. But I think coding works the exact same way. And my understanding of coding as a language helped me to get past the idea that like there's tools out there that can tell a story in coding and a kid who's gifted in math using those in a social studies class to tell a story that, that makes perfect sense to me now whereas before I'd be like why would you add this additional step because it gives access to someone who can speak that language into the art or the the, the content that you're trying to teach and that was really helpful and that's yeah. why I took out of this session it even opened up the idea I worked with another teacher from Douglas's school and we we were crafting questions around a PBL unit and coding and the question we developed was like how might students beautify the world with code and that would not be something I would typically dive into because that's not the way a lens in which I would look through that world and Douglas kind of like unlock the capacity of this world. Douglas's idea of really the purpose being for kids to teach and reteach and learn on their own, it transitions nicely with an interview that Sean did with Martin Moran. Do you want to jump right into Martin's segment? Absolutely, let's go. So why don't you go, um, well, Martin Moran is a teacher who's in Chicago. We've interacted with several times before. I watched him do a presentation and he had the beautiful ability to get people up and moving and writing and doing. And like, you could see that this wasn't something that he had to transition to. This was just the way he saw instructing people. And I thought if he's doing this with adults, I'm sure that his class is similar. And he's, he's been given the opportunity to create a brand new school. So he's going to create a, a new school in Chicago, and that school is going to 
reconstruct education with the core values of student engagement, choice, and, and the, there's so many things that he said. One of the things that he said was that it's time for institutions to stop bending the child to the school and start having bending the school to the child. And I'm going to do a presentation next year about bending to the child. Like, I, I love that idea. It's like a virus inside my head right now, and I start applying it to everything. So I think that there's other things that he said that were really important, too. So let's, let's hear from Martin. You're not giving up anything to take a more progressive or more innovative approach. You're getting more opportunities to do other things. So the question I'd asked him to that part of that quote was, how are you talking to these parents who, because of this possession of the grammar of schools, that schools are supposed to take place in a way, and you're trying to bring in something new, and something has to go. And um, his basic approach to that was like, you're not losing anything to have education look differently. You're not uh, taking a loss. You're just granting so much up. The possibility of trying something new is exciting. And so um, Martin's discussion of how he was going to explain this to the teachers coming into this new space really had me thinking like he, he get if they're bringing them to this school and they buy into the idea that we can change up education think how much license you have to explore what learning could be so now we're on to amy now we're on um, to amy has anyone ever seen the work amy burval's work like the history teachers video videos from many years ago. I remember as a history teacher watching Amy's work and watching her TED talk and being in millions awe. of views. By yeah, the way. being in awe of the creative work she was doing. Um, and perhaps a nice transition here is this: that Martin wants to remix what schools can be, envision them in a new way. Amy does that with all of these different mediums, and she sees them differently and transforms them in a way that's just like, huh? Yeah. And it'll stop you and make you think. So I would highly encourage you to follow Amy's work on social media platforms and Instagram and Twitter. She's always remixing art and remixing media um, so like Sean said earlier like the reason why we started this whole thing is we wanted to talk to people that we admire we wanted to talk to people that we think have interesting stories to tell so here's Amy's idea on remix if you're going to incorporate remix effectively in the classroom it's all about the intention behind what the student has produced and I do think that that is the highest form of learning is, is being able to transform something into something new so in talking to Amy, it resonated with me because um, when she was talking about the idea of remixing media being ultimately possibly the highest form of learning, like my head went immediately to remixing music and how challenging it is to remix music. And if you can effectively create a remix of a song, like it's pretty powerful, powerful stuff that you're executing. Amy's taking it from the perspective, and she even said things like, why not have a student write a haiku as their demonstration of an understanding of any topic you might be exploring? Or why not have students remix um, historical pieces of art, adding new layers of media on top of it to, to show new meaning out of that piece of art? So. This idea of incorporating remix, I don't think I've seen it happening much in schools. And Amy presented this like phenomenal argument on why remix should be a part of education. It ties nicely with Martin's idea of you're not losing anything if you incorporate this kind of like new perspective of what is the kind of work kids should be doing. What I also thought was interesting is like she used that word intention and it's in her book with Dan, like, in, um, you know, intentional creativity, this intentional use of remixing media and this intentional active creativity. It just really stuck me is it stuck with me as like I need to reconsider this idea, um, reconsider the role of the kind of work kids are doing and would maybe untraditional remixing of content be potentially more powerful than a traditional form of assessment or traditional work we might be doing. 
and I, I love remixing music and tying this all together in an educational setting was fantastic. Which leads us to maybe the most unique interview we've had, which was with one of Sean's former students. So Taylor Heislip is a student of mine that I had when I was teaching at Fremd High School in Palatine. It's also the high school I went to. And I, I constantly ask myself when I meet my students, like, what were you ready for? What did we give you? What did you take away? What do you remember? Right? Because you, I don't want my, my classes to be throwaway. I don't want my classes to be disposable. I want to create experiences that are going to inform the future. <clears throat> and as I was thinking about Amy, the reason Taylor comes after that is because I, I went out and I wanted to talk to a student for, like, what are the skills necessary for you to be successful? Because if remix is a thing, what is doing remix preparing them for? So it's taking and transforming situations with a unique personal eye. And I remember Taylor because um, she was a student that I talked to quite a bit in high school. She'd gone out, I knew that she had gotten a job and she's a social media director for a Fortune 200 company. She works at a company that has 200,000 employees around the world. She manages their social media accounts. And when I was teaching her, there was no social media to say except for like Facebook. And it was something that the, the students were on and a few teachers and we were all afraid of it. So by talking to Taylor, I wanted to ask her like, what did we prepare you for? And what did we leave you completely unprepared to process in this job field that didn't even exist when I taught you, right? So she talked about uh, this really meaningful experience and she talked about um, that she was let go from a job because she didn't feel comfortable going in there and innovating. She was like, what do I do? Like, no, just tell me what tasks do I complete? Jobs don't do that. They're not like boom, boom, boom. And the tasks that are like that are mechanical, mechanical and they're like replaceable. So we talked to her about what she, she needs in the people that she works with to do her job. And the moment that she kind of came alive with the realization that she had to be her whole self, bring her whole self to work, and she had to feel comfortable um, diving into problems she didn't understand, and she had to format them. So Taylor's clip is when I asked her, what do you need in a worker? Now that you're hiring in this job, what do you actually look for? And I have to add too that this, in listening to Dr. Howard's keynote this morning and thinking about this clip from Taylor, it like aligns perfectly. So let's give it a listen. We are looking for skills. We are looking for the correct building blocks to make that beautiful Lego castle. Um, we are not looking for the castle. Um, right. We are, we're not looking, we don't care about majors really. I mean, you, we have history majors, we have English majors, we have math majors, science majors. Um, we are just looking for the correct skills. Right. So, so Taylor, after that clip, Taylor is a social media professional and Greg and I met through essentially Twitter in a community that we had constructed on Twitter. We have communicated largely through that. We have you know, far too many followers and we probably deserve on those accounts. But I spent 10 minutes with Taylor, who's been in this field for just a couple of years, and she schooled me on every aspect of like communication, how we talk, what people look for, what they value, what images do. And, and just like that understanding was so instructive and helpful to me, which by the way, if you can ever get a chance to learn from your students, what an amazing experience that is. But it really taught me about what the workforce should be and what we should be doing to help students. How many unstructured unorganized, free-range problems do you place before them? How often and how common is that? Right. So um, this maybe brings us to like the darker side of some <laughs> of the episodes we had. We were talking oh, we to our, our colleague Beth and I think Beth maybe kicked off like the podcast getting like exceptionally dark and maybe a little bit negative for a while. So we interviewed <laughs> Beth and then does anyone listen to the work of Audrey Waters and Hacked Education? 
When you love educational technology as much as we do, you need someone to anchor you and check you, right? You need someone to say cynically, these are some things that are problems. And for me, that's been a couple of these next guests that are coming up. Yeah. So we interviewed Audrey, which was like a target immediately. Like we have to talk to Audrey and she was gracious enough to do the interview with us. Um, Audrey's work on hacked education is super inspirational because she doesn't just take things as they are with face, you know, on face value, like a new tool comes out and it's generally accepted universally by anyone who's into educational technology. And Audrey is always of the mind of like, hold on, wait a second. Don't you really see what's going on in the background? Do you see who's producing this tool? Do you see what their values are? Do you see what's like hard coded into the tool itself? And if you're using this tool, you're, you're pushing those values that are hard coded into the tool onto your students. You remember this again with Dr. Howard this morning when she was talking talking about how robots can manipulate people like the robot can don't say like don't off. yeah that was startling to me when yeah. she said you know don't turn me off I don't want to die and I'm thinking would I turn the robot off like I would heartless <laughs> like good, good, night, good night robot turn off but the, so there's something hard-coded in that robot the same way like when she's talking about artificial intelligence did you see the story a year ago about how the the artificial intelligence like framework or the bot whatever you want to call it they were using like it became racist did anyone see the story that emerged? So the, the data that it, it's using a data set of human writing and human thinking and human behavior and human interaction. So it just models all of that and goes, oh, you guys are all racist. I'll be racist too. So that machine is hard coded with racism. And Audrey's point was the tools that you're using are hard coded with values and you should pay attention to the values hard coded in those. One of the things she brought up was this myth of automation. So we use things, and I'm not knocking the tools, the tools have value, but they, the tools have value, but they also have values in them. So we use Kahoot, we, and I'm, as a model, we use Kahoot, we use Socrative, we use Google Classroom, we use all these tools, but there's things behind the scenes that we should pay attention to. One of them, Audrey pointed out by, if we're gonna use these tools that can auto grade, or we can use these tools to push out work that might not have value, are we stopping there? Or are we really reflecting and thinking about it? So no one could put it as eloquently as Audrey did with this clip. It's really annoying to have to grade stupid assignments. So why wouldn't you want a robot to grade the stupid assignments? To me, the question is like, why are we, why are we doing stupid assignments? Like, how about we don't make students do dumb Task. So I think she's pointing out that like, because we have this influx of technology, maybe we don't look for like the lowest hanging fruit of look, I can push the workout with a button and look, yep. the kids can complete it and push a button. It comes back to me. And like, is it meaningless or meaningful work? And is the technology pushing us in a certain yep. direction because of the capacity of the technology? So when you're doing work in different areas, have you ever had that experience where like two totally unlike ideas lines up and it just falls together? So these two big areas of focus for me are digital citizenship right? As a government teacher and a civics education person, I want to look into that. And, and, and educational technology has been a huge part of my life. So um, there was this moment where I realized that I know to have my students look at an article and say, what inherent values bias this article? Maybe don't wreck it, don't take away its worth, but that I have to excavate for those values. But I have not had my students using tools and saying, what values are inherently embedded in a tool like Padlet? which may not seem like something you need to ask until you realize there's an algorithm that drives what's happening. Facebook is driven by an algorithm that chooses for you what's important, but also chooses for you what's not important. And it ingrains a moment where at that time certain things were important and at that time certain things were less important to you, but those things fluctuate. Is it moving and changing with you? And I need to start having my kids 
evaluating those tools for the embedded values just like the articles that are embedded values. That's a life skill, not a media skill. Yeah, it, Audrey's quote reminds me of a conversation I had years ago with a colleague of mine, Katrina Kennett, who was an English teacher, and she taught right next to me in Plymouth. And she, um, she refused to use any tool that would automate any process. Because she was like, you know, if, if we're going to use Google Drive, we better use it in the capacity as a professional might use right. it. So I want my kids to know how to organize, how to rename, how to share within their groups and manage everything. Like I will not push out work to them. I will not have them push a button and turn it back in. Back then it was Doctopus, if anyone ever used those tools. Silence, I will take us no. So, if you've ever yeah. done it, it's so, like awe-inspiring yeah, so how Do hard that was. Doctopus but. was like Google Drive automation before Google said, let us do it and make it easier with Google Classroom. And she's like, I'm not going to use Doctopus because it pushes out the work, it collects the work, it gives me the link, it puts it in the kids' folder. They're right. not learning how to manipulate the tool. So the value encoded in that tool is one of like passiveness and being subservient to the technology instead of really controlling and manipulating it. And I think Audrey yep. was trying to get at that. She talked about this myth of automation, this great analogy that like we have a, um, a dishwasher in our home, but it doesn't mean that we don't have to clean the dishes anymore. It means the work we're doing around the dishes is different, but you're still doing work with regards to dishes. So don't fool yourself that it's gone. So this myth of this machine can make me more efficient. She's like, it's not making you more efficient. You're just doing different work. And this is illusion of efficiency around the technology that you're using. I thought that was really inspiring. I can give you a perfect example of this. If you've ever used tools online with kids and you're going to publish something with images and even young kids want to put, put together like a movie or some kind of a project. So think about you, you have kids who are going to Google looking for images and you have to explain to them, listen, you can't just use any image you want. So you can teach them how to use like a Google advanced search for images and look for images that are licensed for them to use. But then what happens is tools are like, well, I can make that simple for them. So I love Adobe Spark. I'm doing a session on Adobe Spark tomorrow on how it can be a powerful tool. But in Adobe Spark, at no point when you search images is it telling you, by the way, these images are all searched for you and you can use them because we've already looked for them based upon their licensing. And be, unless you as a teacher go and teach them what that process is doing, you're not encoding the value that's in that tool. And you kind of take that experience away from the kid. And there's tool after tool after tool that is doing that now. At some point, we have to pause and say, do you see what's happening around you? Right? And it's a little, somebody used this analogy and it's a little bit based upon like wealth and affluence and such, but the idea that a kid who has the servant doing things for them doesn't see the inherent value of the work that is being done when it's happening. And therefore, we, we, we actually mock that like, you don't know that the dishes don't just clear themselves. Right? And it, it, it I don't know, I, I, I like the idea of that. Sometimes, at some point, you have to break it down so that they know what's transpiring around them. Yeah, so that leads us to, um... Uh, another guest that we had that I sometimes I look at the people that we've had on the show and I think like why would you ever talk to us on our little podcast <laughs> that we don't know what we're doing so Will Richardson through our colleague Beth agreed to be on the show and I have two quotes from Will so I might botch this whole thing up right here let's I'll play one of the quotes from Will and see if it's the right one I don't think anybody disagrees that much of what we do in schools doesn't comport to common sense but when we start doing things that actually do <laughs> are about common sense then a whole bunch of people go wait it doesn't look like it doesn't look like it doesn't feel comfortable so that's the tension that i find really interesting i love the ease with which he said basically we all know we're doing things that don't make any sense and yet we continue down this path and like for a second when you're like he says it in such a way and then you're like wait a second what 
Yeah. But but at the same time, I think we need those people in our lives. I think it's hard to listen to that sometimes when you're passionate about things. You need someone as like a check. So it set me to thinking about like what are we doing that we know isn't right. But he, but it aligns with and I'll play the other quote right yeah. now. It aligns with the idea of like we give kids the technology and then we put exceptional roadblocks in front of them to use the technology in ways that are meaningful to them. I was talking with um, a school administrator this morning and he's like, hey, we're up to year five on our iPad pilot and we wanna do like a reeval and see if the things we value are still supported by the device and if it makes sense. And he's like, you know, we're getting some pushback now and the kids really like the device and they like to use it. So we're thinking we should maybe go in another direction. <laughs> like it was interesting to go like, you picked a device that's resonating with them, they like it. They like to do things that they like to do on the device. Therefore, let's find something that's like purely well, academic that they're not gonna be drawn to inherently. Well, like we, we see academic rigor as toil. Like it, it should be uncomfortable and a little bit awkward and maybe we should make them struggle a little bit. And I think we could have like a whole entire episode on that concept alone. But yeah, but, but Will, I mean, to a follow up, maybe a less um, critical quote or a less confrontational quote, Will also had this to say about technology and devices we use in schools. Anytime we give a kid a device or anytime we allow a child to use a device in a classroom, it should be in the service of something that they want to learn about and, and or create or connect, you know, I mean, um, it's about agency and we have to help kids understand how to use that agency as productively as they possibly can. So, I mean, if you think about this, it ties really nicely to what Audrey said. Like, are we giving kids, I mean, I love how she said it, like stupid assignments. Of course you want a machine or a robot to grade the stupid assignment. Maybe we should consider not doing the stupid assignment. So of course you give the kids technology and you want to be able to control it, but maybe we need to consider like, what's the real value in giving them the technology? I always say like, what are you implying when you give this to kids? What are you implying when you drop this into a classroom or into a school and you're implying that you want change, you're implying you want things to look different. And if you don't embrace the change and things looking different, then maybe this is all a colossal waste of time and energy. See, for me, when I listen to that quote, I think about the idea that we want students doing work that has inherent value. And inherent value extends beyond the initial experience, right? The product that they make should have value in the days and weeks and months. I'd never want to have the experience again where I give an assignment to a kid and they launch it into the garbage as they walk out, right? Or, or that, that assignment that they did isn't an effective tool to review for the objectives of the course when they do some kind of a final assessment. It should be meaningful. It should make sense. And, and they should have some choices. I, I love this word agency in that. To make a sense of how to express that learning and understanding. And right. in that sense, I think he inspires me to say, yes, this is the way we've done it, but I can, I can shed that. I can do different things that make more sense. Let's, um, let's jump right to Eric's clip and not frame it and okay. then talk about what that conversation yeah, how we picked and, it. and this idea. Are we creating students who have in their life identified purpose or perhaps their passion and the ability to find opportunity where it doesn't obviously exist? Or are we creating students who are pretty content with just the status quo? Um, they're comfortable with, with waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. So Eric Patnode is, uh, I, I sought him out because I knew him from the early days of EdCamp Chicago when I was an organizer. I walked into a session and everyone was intensely focused and loving this session. And it was just about like Twitter but he believed and he was passionate and his heart was in something. He's the kind of person who just focuses on something he believes in. So um, in that role, he was asked to leave the classroom and do some work in technology and in business. And he is connected now with a company called Otis. And because Audrey and because Will had said and said these comments about 
technology is embedded values, I thought, well, there's got to be some technology that embeds modern progressive values that I support. And I immediately thought of Eric because he has a pro the, the, the platform of Otis is trying to have interoperability between data that we have so that it isn't data, so that it's like a human look at what a kid needs so that you can do these kind of projects and look and say, I know what this kid needs. Make it meaningful for kids. So I reached out to him to talk about like, what are the values that drive you? What are the values that you see in this product that you're doing uh, to make it maybe not so, I don't want to say dark or nefarious, but like, so like embedded value sounds like secret, like, but he's very open about it. So when you hear him talk, he talks about, um, he wants schools to move forward. Let's remove that, the problems. We are infrastructure. If you want to build a big society, you need strong infrastructure or the whole thing will crumble. And we're going to provide a progressive infrastructure for you to look at what's happening in your schools, your classrooms, provide that to the teachers so that they can trust their professionalism and let them make choices. So does Otis have like a, a no stupid assignment, like block button? Well, <laughs> what's funny about that is that they don't see... They just figured there wasn't a platform for standards-based grading. There wasn't a platform... You know, you probably have a gradebook program. But I'm interested in how you process um, an assignment that isn't graded, that like that doesn't work like a regular assignment, where when you enter it, it's done and it shuts down. Yeah. Right now, you enter the grade in an assignment and it disappears for most of those things and becomes like an archive. And that's not what he wanted. He wanted the feedback to compile. How do you compile feedback on certain categories for teachers so we can talk to parents and say, no, your kid doesn't have a number in the gradebook. Your kid's not a 72. I don't know what that is. But you can say, here's some meaningful things that your kids are learning. And it really fit with what Martin was doing, because Martin was talking about all the ways that he's communicating growth at this new school and how he, he needs tools to help do that effectively. Yeah. So what, what I think is interesting is this transition to this next idea. And I was super bummed out that I couldn't be on this podcast. He was, tried. Yeah. I was walking through an airport trying to get on the Zoom call on my phone and I had a shaky connection at best and I didn't want to frustrate the, our guest who was actually on with his mom as well because he was a younger student. He was our first kind of like yep. teenage guest on the show. Um, so Sean got connected to Austin via... ISTE 2018. Yeah, so Sean, uh, excuse me, Austin was a speaker at ISTE. So Sean reached out to Austin, asked if he would be on the show and interviewed Austin about his experience and technology. And he has, his, he has a unique teenager perspective which is exactly what we wanted to gather. He's a sophisticated perspective for a kid who's 13 and he's been presenting at two national educational conferences. Right. Right? And I thought it was awesome too that his mom was right next to him when we were recording the show. Yep. She sat with him. I made sure that I asked and requested his presence with his mom and that she be there. I'm like, I want you to do that. I want you to chime in and feel comfortable. You can do this together. But the, the reason I, I knew about Austin because I had seen um, that he was presenting the previous year at ISTE in San Antonio, I believe it was, and he's mm. from Texas. And then I saw that he was back, he came and he did an Ignite speech, uh, an Ignite presentation, which is a big deal to see, that's not an easy gig to get. But I was sitting next to his mom in the audience and she was anxious and nervous for him. And I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, my son is presenting. I'm like, oh really, he's a teacher? She's like, no, he's 13. And I'm like, that's so, amazing. So let, let's hear from Austin. I know some teachers are have their mindset on having to complete assignments, this one specifically, you must do this. However, um, if teachers that are afraid of empowering students like that, um, they need to know about the possibilities of what can happen when they give students the choice. Like uh, a student could create something that's absolutely amazing, 
and you would have never thought possible. I, I love that that message is coming from a student. Like we can talk about, um, you know, teachers allowing kids to become empowered with technology, but to hear, and maybe that's even like, I'm pushing empowerment on you. Like, I promise you can be empowered. You can do anything you want. But when a student is saying, like, give us the opportunity to express and give us the opportunity opportunity to demonstrate what we're capable of. And I remember listening back to it and he talked about, you know, how other students in his class were able to do some pretty remarkable stuff that was like surprising to him. And it, it makes me think, um, Mary Alice uh, Curran, who does the student, a lot of work with student voice online, she was telling me a story once about her son who was asked to turn in, um, turn in an assignment, like a kind of like the shoebox assignment. Yeah, yeah. And it had to be all created within that shoebox. So instead, he put a QR code inside the shoebox. And when you scan the QR code, it pointed to like his virtual world that he built that was much bigger than the context of the right. shoebox. It's like, I don't know if the teacher was happy with that as the deliverable, but it makes me think like, why are, why would we confine students to one capacity when like this could be the capacity? Right, like, think about what you're saying though. Think about the, the teacher who would be mad that a kid created a way, something so creative, expanding the concept, demonstrates learning, and yet, I would be worried as a parent when he walked out the door like, compliance. You may not look like you complied when you were super crazy and creative by, I put my QR code in that box. Right. My whole lesson is in there that There was a box. little bit of snark involved. I think oh, there's awesome. a lot of snark involved there, but, but still. But this is also interesting. Um, my daughter, who's in first grade, she came home with the like, who are you assignment. It was yeah. a piece of paper and she's working on some handwriting and drawing a picture. And I said to her a couple of days later, I was like, hey, Harbs, do you, would you want to like shoot a video of who you are? We could like maybe show who you are in a different way and things you like to do. And we can, she doesn't know what QR codes are. I don't, I don't really expose them to a lot of this stuff. Like we can put a little code on the paper and someone could hold their phone in front of it, watch a video of you. And she's like, no, dad, that's not the assignment. Which like, there's I, not a checkbox here. Right, but I have to also value her voice because yep. she, she really likes the process of the work she's doing. She likes to do what she's asked to, what, you know, but she's also six and maybe I can like ease her into like, it's okay, you can express your, who you are and demonstrate what's possible in other ways. But I also can't force that on her. So I think it's interesting that Austin's like, give us the ability, but maybe we also be, have to be aware of like, you can't force kids to do things with technology because you like it. Like I value that and there's something embedded in that, but she didn't value that right now. So I can't push it on her. And my daughter sees school very differently. She was in, she was very much focused on going to some very high level schools. She is, uh, she has mastered school. She mastered school by junior high. She knows exactly when to follow the rules. She's a creative person in her life outside of that. But when she comes to school, she's like, I'm going to stay within the lines because you get slapped when you're outside the lines, right? And so my son, on the other hand, does not care. And I think he has the concept like, the slap is worth it if you did something kind of cool, <laughs> right? And sometimes that yields him getting, like one time we created a video trailer for his, his book that he did. And it was like so creative. He had Legos on sticks as actors inside of the thing and he had my wife narrating because he thought it was better if it wasn't him and then and he like the teacher held it up as an example but in the exact same way freestyling the exact same way he gets a C on something else because they're like no 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 you don't get to get bendy with my lines that I've drawn for you and so it's very interesting to watch him navigate he's like this is worth it I'm doing this and watching her say no 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 I have to follow these rules so, so we made it. We made it. We kind of got all the way through it. Um, you know, I kind of want to add to Austin. Like Austin did talk about a project. He loved Minecraft. He made Minecraft the, the area where he painted. And I think that's extremely unusual. 
But if you could see the inherent value in the work that a child does in some medium that does not make sense to you, and as soon as he would zoom out, he built an entire city based upon the structure of a cell. And at the, to close out our uh, episode with him, I'm like, how long ago was that? He's like, a year and a half. I'm like, tell me five of the structures within a cell and what they do. And he <laughs> rattled it off. Right? I'm like, do you still have that world in your, um, in your Minecraft world? He's like, absolutely. Why would I, I would never get rid of that. He could go run around in his world. Look, I'm playing in the nucleus right now. Like, that's not what happens when you just do a drawing. And not that they value that drawing, but the experience to interact right. in new and different ways. Like, uh, that's the kind of stuff that inspires this, me. That's the kind of story I'd hope to tell in this podcast. Right. This reminds me of the um, a quote from years ago from one of your sessions, and it was how a student never came back to you later and was like, "Whoa, Mr. McCusker, that worksheet like transformed everything and changed yeah. my life. Like, no. so inspirational. Thank you okay, for assigning that worksheet." Would you go to a workshop set? A, a, a conference session that was like transforming student lives with worksheets. Right. So right? We, yeah. we, we do have to cut. So we made it through the first ever recording in front of live people of doing our podcast. Totally new process. Um, so one, we want to thank you for listening. If you want to listen to any more episodes, you can follow us on social media at So We've Been Thinking. You can go to So We've Been Thinking.com. Whatever app you like to listen to, podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music or Google, where no one's listening to our podcast right now. It's all Apple and Spotify. Absolutely. Um, you can search for So We've Been Thinking. Um, subscribe to the podcast. And I think once the conference kind of ramps down, down, we're going to start ramping the episodes back up. Yep. Um, if you're interested in us talking to someone that inspires you, if you have a personal hero that you think deserves some credit and wants to be part of it, or a story in your classroom, tweet that to us on uh, it's so we been think on Twitter, um, and we would be happy to dig in and find out. If you want to reach out, email us. If you want to go to the website, we have a link so that you can suggest uh, episodes. And what we'd really like to do is start telling other people's stories and kind of connecting with the things that inspire you to act and do and learn. Awesome. Thanks for listening. This So We've Been Thinking podcast is sponsored by EdTech Teachers Innovation and Education Conferences. Join them for their next conference in Woodstock, Vermont on the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of April. Choose to follow one of five conference strands, entrepreneurship, deeper learning, modern civic education, early education technology, and intensive interventions. Then take a deep dive into this topic over the course of a two-day event. Gather each morning for a keynote session, followed by a morning and afternoon breakout session with your strand. For more information, go to innovationandedu.org or reach out to EdTech Teacher on social media.